Okay. All right. Okay, let's get started. <laughs> we're in a series called Follow. I believe we're in part three. Uh, the series called Follow, we're going through the book of Luke, and this section, chapter six and chapter seven, is called Follow because this is where Jesus starts his discipleship ministry. He starts collecting people, and then uh, they go off and do their thing. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at chapter six, verses 27 through 42. Okay, and uh, a little background as to uh, what we're going to be talking about today. When I was uh, 17, close to 18, I was about 17 years old, um, I was invited to church for the first time. And it was, it was from a friend, and uh, we're on the same tennis team. And um, it was really hard to get me to go to church because there wasn't much incentive for me, right? Like, why would you want to go to a church and become religious, right? You know, like, why would I want to do that? And, um, and then my friend who invited me said, oh, that girl you like, she's gonna, she, we just invited her. Do you want to come? I'm like, sure, I want to go. <laughs> so I went. And then a few months after that, <laughs> the pastor at this church did this thing called an altar call. Basically, it's an invitation to see if you want to become a Christian. And he was like, now close your eyes. If you're interested in becoming a Christian, raise your hand. And I didn't close my eyes because I'm, like, I'm not going to raise my hand for this. But then she raised her hand. So I said, oh, me too. <laughs> and so that was my incentive. Okay, now... I don't know if the Lord honored that or not, okay, but eventually I started taking it seriously and it changed my life, you know, um, right? I mean, the question is, like, what is the motivation? What's the motivation? And the question I ask you is, what was your motivation? I mean, if you're not a Christian yet, then, then maybe you don't have an answer for this, but if you are, what was your original motivation? Because what's the question that we live, like, especially in this world that we live in today, one of the things that we ask ourselves is, like, what's in it for me? right? What's in it for me? And a lot of people, okay, and I'm just being honest right here, a lot of people, our incentive is not the right incentive, like the motivation is not right. And I'll give you an example, because when I was in college, I was part of a church, uh, a school fellowship, like a group of Christians, whose main thing was to go and reach out to people, okay? And we, we did this thing where, like the one tactic, we only had like one trick up our sleeve. The way that we did this was basically this, and this is not a good way of doing it, okay? Is, hey, you're going to hell, and if you don't want to, you need Jesus. Don't you want to go to heaven? Right? And that was it. That, that was our thing. And, and, and sometimes it works. Sometimes people yelled at us, you know, right? But it was not the right incentive. It was not the right motivation. But I would say that a lot of people became Christians because they don't want to go to hell, right? <laughs> but that was the motivation. But the problem I have with this, okay, is that when I read through the Bible, avoiding hell is never an incentive. Like, you'll never see, okay, so, um, and the first book in the Bible that, that talks about the story of the church is the book of Acts, okay? And in the book of Acts there are several sermons. There's a lot of sermons that the apostles, you know, the people who follow Jesus are telling people, like, this is who Jesus is. Don't you want to join our movement? Do you know how many times the word hell is used in the book of Acts? Zero. Because that was never, an emo- that was never a motivation. I don't know how that changed, but that was not their motivation back then. Okay, so today we're going to be looking at the motivation of, you know, why, why should we become a Christian? And today we're going to be looking at this. We're going to be looking at what was the disciples' motivation for following Jesus? The first 12 people who said, yes, we're going to follow Jesus. Okay, now at first you're going to discover this. The motivation isn't really there. The motivation isn't really there. It's not like, you mean I get this, 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 this for following you? sign me up. It wasn't like that. As a matter of fact, it's like, you don't get this, you don't get this, you don't get this, you don't get this, and the question is, why should I follow you? And then Jesus clarifies everything by changing perspectives, and at that point, they're like, 
okay, I can see why this is important. Sign me up. And that's how the story went. So I'm going to go over that today. But before we get into verse 27, I want to give you a quick recap of the verses before. If you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. If you weren't, here's, a, here's last week in a nutshell. So we're going to be looking at Luke 6, 20 through 26, okay? And if I could just summarize everything, uh, if you're not familiar with this area of the passage, it's, we commonly call this section the Sermon on the Plain. Not Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain. It's a little different from Sermon on the Mount, okay? And this is basically the summary of that. For the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of what God is doing in this world, some will be poor, hungry, weep, hated, excluded, insulted, and rejected. How would you like to join? That was basically it. That was last week. Now, if you're normal, which I'm assuming most of you are, right, you're going to be like, why would I want to sign up for that, right? So disciples, Jesus collected 12, and Jesus gives them the sermon. Being a disciple of me may cause you to become poor. Following me may keep put you in a place where you're actually hungry or where you're insulted or you're, you're wrongly accused. And so the question that was on the mind of the disciples was this, how so? How so? Like, uh, uh, wait a minute, Jesus, you're doing this new thing, right? You're trying to bring heaven on earth. You're trying to do this thing where we, we, we're doing good things, right, Jesus? I mean, we're not going to do something illegal that's going to cause us to be thrown in jail. Like, how do we end up being hated? Like, what are we going to do that's going to cause us to get poor? Like, wh- what, is, what are we going to do? And so what we're going to pick up from today, verse 27, is Jesus explaining, this is how you're going to be hated. This is how you're going to be insulted. This is how you're going to be poor. This is why you're going to end up being hungry. And the, the reasoning he gives at first may not click, but it'll start clicking in a second. Let's take a look. Verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, and he's talking to his disciples, Love your enemies, <clears throat> do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Now, you're like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to love all my enemies? You mean the people who are out to really hurt me, I'm supposed to love them? Doesn't that kind of open me up for attack? And Jesus is like, yeah. Wait, wait, so you're telling me that <clears throat> I'm supposed to do good for those who hate me? I mean, isn't that like, I don't get any benefits and they keep getting the benefits of, of my love. Like Jesus is like, yeah. Well, that doesn't seem fair. It's like, well, let me give you some examples. And he just gives an example right here. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them the other also because that's what love requires. Revenge and hitting somebody back is not love, right? <clears throat> if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Somebody takes your coat, you're like, hey, um, did you want my, my shirt too? <laughs> it's like, wait, why... Would I do that? It's because that's what love requires you to do. This is what it means to love your, love your enemy. They're like, wait a minute, doesn't that leave me naked and poor? It's like, yeah, it does. Well, why would I want to sign up for that, right? Um, give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Doesn't that make me poor? Doesn't that leave me powerless? Why would I want to do that, Jesus? We, I know you collected us 12 to do this thing called Christianity, this new movement of God, right? But why would I want to sign up? For, like, can I just walk away at this point? The deal does not sound good to me, right? And Jesus kind of summarizes it in this one sentence at the end. He says this, do to others as you would have them do to you. So what he's saying here is this. Loving somebody is not just saying, oh, here, come here, I want to give you a hug. Or writing them a note saying, I love you, and put it in a little envelope and you pass it on. It's like, okay, that's nice. That's, that's, a, that's a nice love, right? But it's like, you know what real love looks like? It's being selfless. 
is putting somebody else's desires before yours. In other words, this is what he's saying. Love requires you to put yourself in other people's shoes. This is called empathy. Love is tough. Love is basically saying, if I was in that person's shoes, then I would probably want this. And what you're doing is saying, okay, so at this point in my life, I'm going to put that person's needs before mine, and that will make me poor, hungry. It'll cause me to weep. I'll probably be hated. I would probably be excluded. I would be insulted. I will be rejected. Why? Because sometimes when you love somebody unconditionally, especially if it's your enemy, they take advantage of you. And Jesus says, if you want to be a part of this movement, life is going to be really, really tough. At this point, if you're there, you're one of the 12, right? You're like, you're taking notes. You're like, why am I here again? <laughs> like, I was pretty comfortable collecting taxes over there. I, I, you know, I, I, I was a fisherman. I was catching fish. I was going to have salmon tonight. Uh, I don't want to be hungry. <laughs> like, why, why, why would I want to do this, right? And Jesus kind of says, no, listen, listen to me carefully because everything rides on this. Basically, he says this. When you put yourself in other people's shoes, you make decisions that benefit other people. The other person takes precedence over you. And you're like, but, but what about self-care? It's like, well, that's important too. You know, what about my, me and my family? Like, that's important too, right? But just so you know, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus means to put other people first. It means to love other people. In case you thought love was just to, be, to care for somebody as long as it's convenient for you, it's like, that's not real love. Real love is to care for somebody regardless of what they give back to you. And so, he goes on with this lesson. The disciples are like, please stop talking. He's like, nope, let me keep talking. <clears throat> if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? He says, true love is not doing something so you get something in return. Love is doing something and you don't get anything in return and that doesn't affect how much you love that person. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. By the way, if you have like an older translation of the Bible, like a King James Bible, the word love right there is not translated as love. Do you know what word that, that, that's, tra that's translated to? They use the word charity because these scholars thought, you know what is like giving and not getting anything returned? That's like charity. So instead of using the word love, they used the word charity because they thought that described what Jesus was saying better. And you're like, whoa, I thought I was pretty good at loving people until I read this verse, right? I thought I was a pretty good Christian until I read this verse, right? Love is not receiving anything in return and still saying, I still want to continue to love you. When you say, you know, like when you say love, there's many different levels of love. At the highest, it would be to love somebody when there's nothing in it for you. At the least, it's I'm loving you so I could get something from you. Like, I'm loving you because I get these feelings from you, and I, feel, I like how I feel when I, when I, when I, so I'm, that's why I'm loving you. But when you stop giving me those feelings, I'm going to stop loving you too. That's the least form of love. And the highest form, it's regardless of how you treat me, how much you insult me, how much you hate me, I'm going to continue to love you. No matter how many times you slapped my cheek, how many times you took my, took my coat from me, right? No, many, no matter how many times you wronged me, it doesn't change how much I love you. That's the highest level of, level of form, uh, form of love, okay? And, <clears throat> and then Jesus, the disciples are like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I could swallow all this information and you know, I don't know if I could live like that. And Jesus is like, well, I'm not done yet, <laughs> right? Like, I have more to tell you. Like, okay, well, what do you mean by that? It's like, well, 
here you go. And if you lend to those uh, from who you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. And like, you can't pat yourself on the back for doing something where you know that you're going to get something in return. That's not love. And if it is love, then it's the lowest form of love. Yeah, this is tough, right? Next verse. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be, now this is important, children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Back in those days, if you had a teacher or a mentor or a rabbi or somebody that you, you worked under or, you know, and you're a student, if you start exuding some characteristic trait of the person who's training you, Somebody will come to you and say, oh man, you know the way you just did that? That reminds me of your teacher. You're truly a child of your teacher. You're truly a child of your mentor. So when somebody says you are a child and -and so-and-so, it's a compliment to say that the teacher is doing a great job of taking his his characteristic and planting it into you, right? So he says, if you are able to love people in this way, then you'll be called the children of the Most High. People look at you and say, you know who you remind me of? You remind me of your God. The greatest form of compliment back there. He's like, because, you know why? Because when God, for the thousands and thousands of years, God, okay, he has been loving us unconditionally. He's been loving the people who's been hurling insults at him. He's been doing all these good things to the people who won't even pay attention to him, right? And so, like, what you're doing, if you're able to love like that, then you are actually living the life that God has been living for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, So he says, that's what it means to be my disciples. To love like God loved. And then he, again, at the end of this, he summarizes everything in one sentence. He says this, be merciful just as your father is merciful. It's like to love somebody is not just like this warm, rosy feeling inside inside your heart. Loving somebody is actually a lot of work. It makes you vulnerable. It hurts you. People walk all over you, right? And if you think that's not fair, then you should probably look at God and realize how unfair, unfair it's been to him all these years. Whew. And so again, the disciples are like, okay, I'm ready to leave. I don't want to be a part of this. And Jesus is like, wait, 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 wait. I'm getting to the good part right now. It's like, really? It's like, are you sure? It's like, yes, I'm getting to the good part. Because I want to tell you what hangs in the balance. I want to tell you what's, why I want you to do this. I'm, telling, I'm about to tell you why this is so important. Because if you don't get this right, there's so many things you're going to miss out on. Are you ready to hear this, disciples? And they're like, okay, Jesus, you have one chance because I'm about to walk out. It's like, okay. So here's Jesus. He's going to explain. He also told, us this, told him this, this, this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like the teacher. Now, Jesus is giving this really strange illustration. It seems like he was talking about one thing, and all of a sudden he's talking about something else, right? And no, they're both connected somehow. Okay, so this is what Jesus is saying. He's like a new thought right here. He says, if this is the teacher, and the teacher is teaching a student, okay, the student can never learn more than the teacher because the teacher is the one, is the ca- he's the teacher is the cap to what the student can learn. Does that make sense? This is before the internet. You can't just Google something. So whatever the teacher was teaching the student, right, was the max of how much that student could learn, okay? So what he's saying here is when the, 
if you're blind in leading somebody, then you can't lead somebody into the promised land. You can only lead them into a ditch because that's the only thing that the leader can do, okay? If there's a teacher and the teacher says, this is how you gotta live your life, the student cannot exceed the teacher. That's just the logic of it all, okay? Now, this is what Jesus is saying. If you don't get this love thing down, right, Jesus is teaching about this amazing thing called love, what it really looks like, okay? And let's just say Jesus says, one day I'm not going to be here anymore. Right? Within three years, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed, right? I'm going to rise, and then I'm going to give you this crash course, and then I'm going to leave. So one day I'm not going to be here with you. And it's like, he looks at the disciples. One day this movement's going to be in your hands. If you don't get this love thing right, the people you're going to disciple one day is not going to be to exceed your understanding of love. I want you to get this love thing right because if you have a watered-down version of love, then for the future of Christianity, for all of eternity, from here on out, people will not understand what true love is. You need to get this right because the student could never exceed the teacher. He goes on. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Which is kind of comical to think about it, right? Like, hey, you got something in your eye. Um, (laughs) um, Well, what he's saying is this. It's so important that you work on yourself before you start working on other people. Stop teaching people how to love when you yourself have not learned how to love either. Peter, disciple Peter, you need to get this right. John, disciple John, you need to get this right. Bartholomew, you need to get this right. Thomas, you need to get this right. Judas, you might not get this right, okay, but we'll get back to you. you But he's like, you have to get this right because if you don't get this right, Okay, this is why you have to work on this plank that's in your eye because you have this false image of what love looks like and, and everything rides on this. If you don't get this right, the future of this movement is dead. It's watered down for the rest of time. Okay, so make sure you get this love thing right. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so Jesus gives more instruction. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the spick out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? First, take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He's like, you have no qualifications to teach other people how to love if you yourself haven't experienced and lived out the love that I'm trying to spread to this world. Come on, disciples, you have to get this right. You have to get this right. Because if you don't, he says this, that God's kingdom hangs on how well you love one another. I know it's going to be hard. You might end up in places where you're poor. You might end up in places where you're hungry and insulted and wrongly accused because people take advantage of people who love, right? But consider what hangs in the balance. This world that's all wrong right now could be put to rights if you could learn how to love perfectly. If you could love like the Father loves, if you could show mercy like the way the Father shows, if you could forgive people that the way God forgives, if you could do all that and then you pass it on to the next generation, we have a movement. We have something that could change the world. That's why I need you to get, I want you to get this right. And at this point, the disciples aren't thinking, well, what's in it for me? Am I actually going to go to heaven or am I going to go to hell? These aren't the questions on their minds anymore. They're thinking globally. They're thinking, we could change the world with this message. You're right, Jesus. We need to get this right. This is why it's important, not just for disciples, but for also us, that like, no matter what, let's get this right. This is so important. 
you may not be good at memorizing verses, although Bible scripture memorization is important, okay? But if you can't get that right, it's okay. Christianity is going to be fine tomorrow, okay? Um, you might not understand the d- depths of the level of the meaning of the Ten Commandments. That's okay. You might not understand ancient Hebrew or ancient Greek, and that's okay, <laughs> right? Your prayer life, um, I hope it's really good, but if you're feeling like when I pray, I don't feel really connected to God, that, okay, I hope we work on that, but that's okay because according to Jesus, if you get everything wrong, he wants you to at least get this one thing right, which is how do you love? And it's not just Jesus who says this. Later on, there's a guy named Apostle Paul, and in 1 Corinthians 13, he says this. You know what? You might be able to prophesy. You might fa- understand and fathom all the mysteries of the world. You might be able to speak in tongues of angels, you know? But if you don't have love, then it's all just rubbish. It's all junk, because this movement of God isn't built on it, whether if you could speak some foreign language under the influence of the Spirit. This movement of God is not dependent on how well you could memorize Scripture and have debates with people on whether if you're right or wrong. This whole movement is based on how well you love. If you don't have love, all this is garbage. So he says, make sure you get this right. The rest of the world is depending on Christians to understand what it really means to love. And so to answer that question that I asked in the beginning, what was the motivation of the disciples? It was this. <coughs> they're motivational. They're motivated by Jesus' great vision on heaven on earth. He's saying, wouldn't the world be better if God's rule in heaven actually rested here on earth? where we loved each other in the way that God wanted us to love, where God's way of living was the way that everybody lived, where everybody was forgiving each other, where everybody was saying, you know what, I see the differences in our skin tone, but you know what, I don't care, I love you. I see the differences in our lifestyles, but it's okay, I love you. Like, everything is trumped because of this perfect love that Jesus is trying to teach us. And he says, this was the motivation of the first disciples. The disciples were like, what's in it for me? And they went from that mindset to, oh gosh, we've got to do this because the whole world needs to know about this perfect love. Yes, it might put us in places where we don't want to be. I might end up in situations where I'm being flogged and I'm being persecuted. But if it means that we could change the world with this message, then I'm on board. But then again, as Jesus just said, there are some things that's holding us back. And Jesus described it as planks, right? So the question I have for you today is this. What plank do you have to remove? What needs to be removed from your life? What is that thing that's keeping you from learning how to love sacrificially? Is it your comfort? Yeah, you know, I would love to love the people around me sacrificially, but uh, I like to be comfortable. (laughs) I I like to sit on my couch. Um, I like to be in a warm place. You know, what is it? What is that plank in your life? What is that thing that's keeping you from passing on this love that God has taught you about to the next generation? I mean, I've heard people say this, and this is so true, that Christianity is one generation away from extinction. It always has been. All it takes is one generation to say, yeah, you know, forget this love thing, and then Christianity ends right there, right? So what's the plank in your life? What do we need to ask God what do we need to ask the Spirit to remove from us? Is it pride? Is it your busy schedule? Maybe it's your busy schedule, like, I'm doing everything right, but I'm just too busy to help the people around me. 
Is it prejudice? Oh, I'm afraid of helping this group of people because I, I just have a bad feeling about these people. Is it the yearning to be safe? Like Jesus said, love will cause you to be in a situation where you feel compromised. Now, I'm not saying you should go and look for trouble. That's, that's not the point of this. I'm saying that if you were to go all in to love God with everything that you have, it's going to cost you. What's that plank in your life? Is it stinginess? God called us to be generous. And you're like, yeah, but, you know, I want to hold on to as much as I can. Is it because you can't trust God? If I do this, then bad things are going to happen and God's not going to help me when I'm in that trouble. Is it that you lack faith? I mean, what, what, what is it? For me, it's definitely comfort. And, you know, I, I tell this to a lot of people, but, you know, before I was married, it was easy for me to do this. It was easy for me to go all in. And then I got married and I said, well, I'm okay doing this. No, no, she was a good influence on me, okay? <laughs> but I want to make sure that she's safe. And now I have kids. And now I'm thinking, I'm willing to live on cup ramen for the rest of my life, but I don't want my kids to, I want them to eat like good food. And I want them to have a roof over their heads, right? And the more that I have in my life, the more things I care for, you know, the more people I care for, the more I realize, like, I really, <laughs> there's more and more things I don't want to lose. And so sometimes I have to say, Lord, what is it that you want, to do with, you, want, you want me to do with my family? And the message that I keep getting from God is that you need to teach your kids how to love sacrificially too. That one day, he'll make, you know, my kids will make me proud by learning how to love sacrificially. You know, and you know, there's, there's this Old Testament understanding of sacrificing animals. Um, they thought that this is the way that you please God. Like, God is angry, okay, so we're going to take, you know, take a piece of goat and you know, slash it and put it on an altar, burn it up, and the, the smoke goes up to the skies, and Lord, are you pleased with this offering, you know? And then there's a sheep. Slip the throat of the sheep, put it on the altar, burn it up. Like, Lord, are you, right? And then the New Testament, God reveals that he was really never excited about killing animals. <laughs> like, he's like, uh, yeah, you did that on your own. <laughs> um, yeah, but then Paul the Apostle, one of the first Christian leaders, in the book of Romans, chapter 12, he basically says this. He says, God is still interested in one kind of sacrifice. And he calls it a living sacrifice. And what he means by that is this. If you could take yourself, your ego, everything that you are that keeps you from doing the things that God wants you to do, he says, if you could sacrifice yourself for the well-being of the people around you, he's like, God is pleased by that kind of sacrifice. That's his way of saying, what plank needs to be removed from your life? What plank are you going to say, Lord, this is the thing that gets in the way from me of loving the people around me perfectly because I believe in what you want to do with this world, God. I think that you want to bring heaven on earth and there's this one thing that's holding me back from doing this. And if that's what it means to follow you, I'm willing to put this on the altar and say, Lord, do whatever you want with it. So once again, I ask you, what is the plank that needs to be removed? What is your motivation for following Jesus? And these are tough questions. And I pray that you find the answers to these questions because this might be the thing that's holding you back from doing what God wants you to do. Amen? All right.